0: Our passage today is Titus 1, verses 10 through 14. I'm going to be talking a little bit about church uh, discipline. There's really five steps to church discipline laid out by our Lord in Matthew 18, 15. Uh, There's self-discipline. The next step is one-on-one. You go to your brother or your sister. There's two or more where you call in a mediator, call in other witnesses uh, to, to rebuke the person or talk with the person. and Then you get the church involved. Elders and deacons, and if that doesn't work, then they turn you over to the world, the discipline of the world, and of Satan. Uh, The the step that I think is often really neglected is self-discipline. So I could talk at length about each of the steps, uh, each certain. I could have sermon series about all this. We could talk about that, but I really want to focus on uh, self-discipline and our duty, our responsibility as Christians to discipline ourselves. Although I'll be talking about each element uh, here and there as well. So with that in mind, let's turn to Titus 1, 10 through 14. If you'll read along with me or follow along uh, on the screen, that'd be great. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. There was an experiment back in the 1960s, I'm sure many of you have heard of, uh, a psychologist named Walter Mischel, did this experiment called the marshmallow test or the marshmallow problem, right? And he took a bunch of kids, a bunch of preschoolers, and he put them in a room, and he put a marshmallow before them, and he said, you can have this marshmallow now or you can have two marshmallows when I return. Now, as a kid, you can imagine, even as an adult, what some of us might do, that some of them grabbed it and quickly ate it, and okay, well, you get one marshmallow. There you go. Well, others, okay, all right. You know, we can do this. And and they would would try to sleep. They would look at it. You know, they'd cover their eyes. They didn't want the temptation. And they waited, some of them, 20, 25 minutes. These little preschoolers, these kids, waited for that second marshmallow. Now, the exciting thing about the the experiment for the researchers is they followed these kids all the way through adulthood for years. Years and years and years. They would check back up on them. And they found that those who exhibited self-control were better suited for the tasks of life. They they just found themselves easier, they they were less anxious, they they, they had self-control from a very young age, they had learned self-discipline, and so as they they coped with life's frustrations, they had an easier time as adolescents and as adults than the others. For adults, I thought about this, all of life sort of seems like a marshmallow test, doesn't it? (laughs) Daily, we're faced with countless little marshmallows placed on plates in front of us. Our phone will ding, and I'll sit there, and I'll go, I could get work done, or I could check what that was, right? I could, you know, uh, don't get distracted, don't get distracted. Okay, okay, I'll wait for this, you know, I'll wait. I'll check it later. There are, uh, we go out to eat at, at lunch or dinner, and the waitress comes back and, you know, would y'all like dessert? Well, of course, y'all would like dessert. Of course we want dessert, but I don't need dessert. I'll wait. Right, I'm on a diet. What kind of a question is that? Why would you ask me that? I'm vulnerable. The marshmallow problem is really only a problem at all because we're sinful. It's a problem because we lack self-discipline in different aspects of our lives. Maybe it's weight problems, maybe it's marriage problems, maybe it's money problems, work problems, drinking problems. All of us have a different sin problem that we're dealing with, different stages. What about spiritual problems? So many of our problems are self-inflicted simply because due to our sin, we lack the control, we lack the discipline needed. We want the marshmallow now, right? I could sit down and read my Bible. I could sit down and pray, but the marshmallow is over there and I want to go get it now. As a reminder that humans have had the same issue since the fall of man, we have the problem here in Titus that we're still facing in 2020. Listen to this. Verse 11, 10 through 11. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. The word rebellious here can be translated a few different ways in the text. You could translate it as unruly, disobedient, or my personal favorite, unmanageable. These people are unmanageable people. The people of Crete are a bunch of nasty individuals, and Titus is going to have to learn to manage a church with unmanageable people being part of that church. People who lack self control, people who lack self discipline, and so they've gone about disrupting entire households by talking about things they shouldn't be talking about vain talk, self, just foolish talk, all because they want dishonest game. And so Paul's qualifications for church elders in the previous chapters, you remember Ron preached about this last week. These verses are so important for us because undisciplined people must now be disciplined, must now be governed by disciplined people. Meaningless talkers must be silenced by useful talkers. False doctrine must be put to shame by sound doctrine. Paul highlights this in verse 11. He says these troublemakers must be Silenced. Now, he's not some sort of mob boss. You know, he's not like, give him some men's shoes, you know, like silence them. That's not what he's saying. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, he's saying, use God's word to silence their lies. Use the truth to silence the foolishness of their arguments. The trouble with this comes that, that we all have met obstinate people. And even when they're proven false, rarely do they keep quiet. <laughs> Paul's, you know, in fact, many of them shout louder when you prove them false. They become so malicious with their words and actions that many of them become utterly shameless by the end of the argument. So how do we silence them? What is the biblical way that Paul's talking about to silence these troublemakers, these uncontrolled, unmanageable people? He says says the first way is that we wound them with the sword of truth. We wound them with God's word. A person who has been wounded by God's truth can continue to chatter, but ultimately they have nothing left to say. They've been wounded. Their their argument has been exposed as false. They're left with nothing left to say. Argumentative bullies don't like it when people smarter than them push back, and there's nothing smarter than God's word. And so when you use God's truth to push back, they're left without anything to say. The second thing is we must discipline our own ears. A foolish talker only speaks because there are people there to listen to him speak. And so if we can discipline our ears, if we can pick up on the fake news of this world by holding up the truth of God's word, then we won't listen to them. These households in Titus wouldn't be turned upside down if the people had said, stop, what are you talking, myths, these Jewish, what are you talking about? Leave, get out. Get out. Stop talking to my kids. Stop talking to my mom. Get out of my house. I'm not listening to you anymore. So we need to discipline ourselves daily by being in God's word, by, by listening to the truth, by hearing the truth spoken. Continuing now in verse 11, they must be silenced, but why? Well, Paul says because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, if the faith of one person is at risk, if a single soul redeemed by Christ's blood is in danger, the pastor should at once brace himself to resist such an attack. This is severe. This is important. These are souls we're talking about. And the devil loves to attack households. He loves it. He loves breaking down marriages. He loves disrupting families. He will send his own ministers into people's households, to flip them upside down, to disrupt them. This is why as Christian parents, as Christian daughters and sons, we always have to be on guard. If the father lacks self-discipline, the house will fall. If the mother lacks self-discipline, the children will suffer. If the children lack self-discipline, the mother and father will be thrown into utter chaos with anxieties and problems. You know, right? My children lack self-discipline. I know, I know. And it causes me much angst and much anxiety when they do this. It's a a cycle of discord. And I need Jesus to enter into that situation. I need the truth to enter into those lies. And I need him to disrupt that cycle of discord. Something has to break the cycle in our households. In Crete, the way God chose to break that cycle is through Titus and his elders and his deacons. They were going to be the ones to break the household chaos by silencing the troublesome Jewish members of the circumcision group. The same is true of the church today. God has elected, he's ordained church elders, officers, to continue to bless us by disciplining us. They love us too much to let that cycle of chaos continue in our lives. Listen to Hebrews 13:17 Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Now I want to give you a few practical examples of what this looks like from my own ministry experience what I've what I've experienced in my own life of how the elders or how how the deacons have have been those leaders have disrupted the chaos in life and how people have submitted to them and how how the you know the chaos can be ended well i knew these this couple who had recently adopted a little girl from uh, china and she was just sweet as can be and they had us over for dinner and boldly as a pca guy i looked at at him and i said are you going to baptize her you know, I was, I, was, I was like, oh, great, he's going to tar and feather me. Because cause he had a Baptist background. And so I thought, well, you know, I don't know what compelled me to ask this. But I asked him, are you going to baptize her? And he, he responded. He said, if the elders of the church came to me and asked, I think I would do it. And I was floored by that answer. Because what he was saying is, they have been charged. I'm a member of that church. They've been charged to keep watch over my soul. By God, They've been ordained. They have wisdom from God. And so if they came to me and asked me that, I think I would do it. The second, the second example is a mother in the church had three kids. Her husband died at a very, very young age when the kids were very tiny. And she came to us and said, I'm having trouble with the older boys. They don't listen. They're violent. I need help. And so the deacons came to me. We got five people together, a a tiny little group. We came together and we counseled the mother and the children together for months. And we prayed with them and we met with them. And you better believe there were awkward conversations that were had. There were tough conversations that were had. But she trusted the leaders of the church. She submitted to them enough saying, There's a cycle of chaos, there's discord in my house. I need help. That is a blessing. That is how the church intercedes on our behalf. That's how the elders and deacons who are charged with keeping watch over our souls, disciplining us, that is how they are a blessing to us. So now as sheep, it's our duty to keep our houses in order. If we we practice self-discipline, we'd never even get to that point. We have to submit to their authority. We have to encourage them, and we need to encourage them to uphold their duties as well because they have their own issues they're dealing with. Moving on to verse 12, Paul continues to lay out the difficulties that lie ahead for poor Titus. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. This prophet Paul is talking about is this guy named Epimenides. He's a philosopher from Crete. And this is actually known as the Epimenides paradox. Because the problem is Epimenides is a Cretan. And so, by him saying all Cretans are liars, he's including himself in that. So the statement must be false. It'd be like me saying all Floridians are liars. Can you trust me? <laughs> you see the issue. But Paul's is saying here no, 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 no. What he's saying is true, it's stereotypically true. What he's saying? Because Paul knows if you want to know the people, if you want to know what Florida's like, you ask a local, okay? <laughs> And they'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you the hard, honest truth. Personally, as one of Florida's top philosophers, I'm going to adapt this for us, okay? Floridians are beautiful liars, evil retired brutes, lazy sun-soaked gluttons. Is that true? We're sinful people just like the people of Crete, we're extremely set in our ways, we're set in our traditions. It's hard to take an undisciplined person and teach them discipline. It's hard to ask someone to change who has been set in their ways for so many years of living one way, and instead we say stuff like, "You know, we could undertake that hard work of self-discipline, but we say stuff like, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. well, I wondered if this was true. I Googled it and it turns out you're wrong. You can teach an old dog new tricks. So we got to get rid of that. Now, rover.com, which is self-proclaimed the dog people website, rover.com, they've given us four tips for teaching old dog new tricks. Now, I'm going to replace the word dog with the word Christian. okay? <laughs> and I'm going to show you how the gospel can take us old dogs and teach us Some new tricks make us an entirely new person through Jesus Christ. Now, when I'm saying the word old, I'm not talking about your age. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. I'm just talking about Christians who are set in their ways, Christians who have been going one way for so long, and maybe we need to examine our life and turn around. The first tip from Rover.com is it's never too late for a treat. Don't let old clichés make you assume you can't teach an old Christian new tricks. Even a senior Christian with no prior training can wrap their brain around simple instructions. Reward training is going to be the key for your young adult Christian, for your adult Christian to learn positive behaviors and reduce even a lifetime of bad manners. The treats and rewards of the gospel are not always easy to grasp. A positive reward for the discipline of continued prayer is answered prayer. But that may take years for some of us to see. It takes patience. A reward for reading God's word is a lifetime of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But that takes discipline. The rewards of the gospel are eternal, but we get so focused on that stupid marshmallow in front of us. We don't have time to wait for the second one. We don't have time. We want it now. This seems impossible. But 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and so in ourselves we have no power or can do no good thing but the Lord doesn't abandon us there the rewards and treats of the gospel are forgiveness peace in this life and the life to come it's eternal riches in Christ the second tip from rover.com is that things start great with crates They're older and larger, so you might feel wary constricting them with a crate, but they need the same basic structure as a puppy. I mean, a Christian. Get a crate that's the proper size. Build up their endurance for staying in it. Get them to adopt it as their den. Our God is a God of order and structure. The church is to be run in an orderly and structural way, just as our households and our everyday lives are to be disciplined, they're to be structured, they're to be constrained. And as believers and children of God, we're actually freest when we're in the crate of God's word. When we are contained by God's word, we are actually within God's parameters. We are the freest we will ever be. Sin says, forget the crate, forget the rules, follow your heart. But the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? Using Christian worship as an example, all of you, I'm sure you've all seen churches where people are, are running amok and, and worship experiences are actually rock concerts and the pastor is acting like a child from the pulpit. And you go, That's, what is that? That's not orderly. That's not structure. There's no structure to that. We need lanes. We need speed limits. We need locks on our doors. We need crates. These things keep us contained. They keep us from running amok because we are unruly, unmanageable people. The word of God is a crate for us. It's our guiding line. It's our leash. It is our rule for faith and practice. A healthy church filled with healthy Christians will be a disciplined church that worships God in the way he wants to be worshiped. He's given us rules. He says, I want to be worshiped this way. We need to follow those rules. First Corinthians 9, 26 through 27, Paul says, therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I'm beating the air. No, I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself may not be disqualified. Thirdly, you need to vet your Christian's health. Can you train an old Christian to do absolutely anything? Certainly there are limitations to consider, and a spiritual consult is wise before training beyond the basics. An older Christian may have joint and arthritis issues, so jumping or catching the frisbee might be unwise choices that frustrate you and hurt your two-legged friend. That's That is so true. (laughs) We all have limitations. And we need to know those limitations. All of us are at different points in our walk with God. We're at different faith and maturity levels. And so we need patience. We need patience with ourselves. We need patience with others. We need to have patience because Christ has patience with us. My life is an example of, of God being patient loving me through through ups and downs and trials god is so patient with all of us having said that i want to encourage you to test those limitations maybe you don't think you can teach sunday school but have you tried maybe 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 you are gifted in ways you don't even know maybe god has has things that he's going to use you to do that you would think would be impossible The gospel calls us out of our little comfort bubbles. It challenges us to take risks for the sake of the kingdom. Pastor Paul Tripp says, The gospel fills us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be delivered to a new life that benefits others and glorifies God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now living within us. Therefore, 2 Peter 1.10, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Practice self-discipline. Get out of your comfort zones. Every once in a while, give yourself a spiritual checkup. And look at yourself You say, I've been walking so long in my ways. I'm so aware of my limitations. Maybe there's something through the power of the Spirit. Maybe there's something God's calling me to do. I know of people who are you know, in their 70s who have gone to a mission field for the first time. That is, that is glorious, and that only happens by the power of the Spirit. I know young people who go, who are called to go, and they go and they live over there for the rest of their lives in the mission field. They go to, to the streets. Maybe God is calling you out of your comfort zone. Maybe he's going to cure your arthritis of the soul. You like that? Fourthly and finally, social lubricant. Your Christian may be open, may not be open to learning new things if new stimuli is a part of life. An older, untrained Christian may not have been socialized, and new places, people, animals, and experiences will invigorate your Christian's mind and usually make them more interested in learning new tricks, too. Adult Christians shouldn't be socialized like children, who are frequently fine being loose together. It's very true. An older Christian needs to learn, to learn calm, public behavior as people and animals and other Christians cross their paths. Hebrews ten twenty three through 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The body needs Arms and legs and eyes and ears and each of us is called to a different part of that body and we all make it up together we need unity we need love we desperately need each other desperate I'm desperate for you we need each other I need your encouragement I need to see your smiles on Sunday mornings I need to hear that you've been praying for me I need all of you we need each other the easiest way for a Christian to fall into false doctrine, the easiest way to lose discipline, to have your whole household turned upside down, is to simply neglect the body of Christ. It's to simply neglect the church. I've seen it so many times. A Christian stops going to church, stops meeting with the believers. Years down the road, we hear about them leaving the faith altogether, and we go, what happened? Well, they weren't part of the body, and they lost it. And they, and they left. They were never part of us. They went out from us because they were never with us. You see, sin is like a shiny object. And it's out in the forest. And imagine you walk the forest line. And you see this little shiny object. And you look around. and You walk out. You know, you make yourself a path. And you grab the shiny object. Okay, okay, good, good. You put it back down. And then you leave. And you come back to that shiny object. You keep coming back. And you keep coming back. Until eventually there's a path that has been well worn. And it's so easy to get to that nowadays. And what was once a private sin is now shamefully public. And if you do not have Christian brothers and sisters there to grab you by the scruff of the neck and yank you out of that forest, I, I, I pity you. I pity you. We need people to call us and go, I haven't seen you in a while. We miss you. We miss you. Where are you? I see what you're up to. Can we talk about what's going on in your life? That's what church discipline does. It's a call back. It's a call to repentance. It's because you failed to self-discipline yourself. And we're saying, we love you too much to keep you walking down that path. Can we help you regrow it? Through the gospel, can we help you let the path regrow? Let's forget about it. And let's move towards repentance. Please, please, please. Do not neglect the church. I once had a mother come to me and tell me her family would be out of church for the next three months. She said, hey, I just want you to know the kids won't be in youth group. We're going to be out of church for three months. And I said, why? Is everything okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. We just have travel soccer. I love sports. (laughs) But parents, please make church a priority. Because the things you make a priority now, your children will make priorities later. If you can discipline your house, if you can discipline yourself, you will be blessed through the fellowship of the saints, through the preaching of the word, through the sacraments administered to you. You will be blessed. Finally, finally, verses 13 through 14. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith, will pay no attention to Jewish myths, or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. As Christians, we need to drastically change the way we think about discipline. The Psalm 141 passage that Ron read earlier has David saying this, and it's beautiful. He says, let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. I I would love it if a righteous man came up to me and smacked me upside the head and said, Heath, what are you doing? Praise God for that. That is a kindness, David says. My parents used to spank me and they'd say, we're doing this because we love you. And I look back on it now and I say, I can never repay them for how much love they gave to me. (laughs) But they didn't spoil the rod. And they spared me. They spared me a lifetime of hurt because they taught me discipline. Hebrews 12, 6-7 says, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He chastises everyone he receives as a son. Endure suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. And so the joy of Titus 1, 13-14 is that these people would be rebuked at all. The joy is that God saw these people of Crete, saw the brutes, saw the evilness of them, and he said, I'm going to send Titus there to smack them upside the heads. Because I love them. Because I think, I think the Holy Spirit, I think we can manage those unmanageable people. This rebuke from Titus is coming from the people of Crete's failure to practice self-discipline. Therefore, it's a blessing that God, in the hopes that they might repent, would discipline them as sons. I was curious to learn how that small island was doing today. Remember the boot is kicking it? That's how I always knew it was there in And it's 95% Greek Orthodox today. Now, I'm not trying to disparage Greek Orthodox people, but it's basically Catholicism light. And so it's very easy to see how even though we had Titus, we had Paul, we had these strong foundations, now they've fallen back into false doctrine, 95%. They worship all the, you know, they celebrate all the holy days. They have the iconography, the saints. It should serve as a warning to all of us just how easy it is to go astray when we neglect, as a church, as a body, when we neglect the godly discipline that God has given us. And so if we want to maintain a healthy church, a healthy family, a godly lifestyle, we have to do that through God's word. We have to do that through meeting together. We have to do that through the power of God's grace upon our lives because we can't do it alone. I don't want to do it apart from God. I need God's Holy Spirit to move my heart, to to long for that second marshmallow to go, listen, I know the first one's there, but I'm waiting. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to focus on the goal because eternity is in my grasp. And I will press on for the finish line. I'm going to end with this. All Floridians are liars. Evil brutes, lazy gluttons, but Jesus died to save such as these. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us so much that he rebukes us, he challenges us, and he disciplines us through his word, through his people, and through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would know that saving grace. Turn from your old ways, turn from the old man of sin. And know the loving arms of Jesus Christ today, I pray. Let's pray.